investor. Tyler, this message is, are you dealing with a proud person? I'm going to show you seven things that King Azarias does that reveals his pride. And then we're just going to simply ask the question, do you have pride? Okay, that's where we're going. Esther chapter 1. We're looking at King Azarias and his pride. First thing we see about this king is he is proud and he likes to show off. Proud people are big show-offs. Look at verse 4 and 5. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, for 180 days in all. So he, he spends six months showing everybody how rich he is and how wonderful he is. He's invited, from verse 1, he's invited people from the 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. This would be the kingdom that he rules. And basically, it's something you rarely see a king do. He's invited everybody that he's king over to come to his house, to his palace, and spend six months showing them all how rich he is and showing off all of his wealth. We saw last week in verse 6 and 7, some of the display of this wealth, there were, verse 6, there were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple and silver rods and marble pillars. And the couches were made out of gold and silver. The pavement was all different colors of stones, verse 7, and they served drinks and golden cups, every cup being different from the other, and the royal wine was in abundance. So what's King Azarias doing here? He's showing out. He's showing off. And that's what proud people do. Sadly, in our country, we've made that a, a commendable thing. We actually brag on people who brag on themselves. We, we lift it up. We don't see it as a mark of pride, as a negative thing. We see it as something positive. And so, uh, but here we see this proud king. He likes to show off. The second thing, pride, proud people use you to make them look good. They just use you. Look over at verse 11 when he's talking. He's just had this party for six months, and then he's going to have a seven-day festival or feast. And to sort of culminate all his display of showing off, the final thing he's going to do is have his queen come and display her beauty. Verse 11 he has them bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and to the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. Now, obviously, you remember we looked at this last week. She doesn't come, but that's what he wants her to do. He wants her to come and display her beauty, but he's doing this not for her. He's doing it for himself. He's showed off his gold and his wealth and his, his royal wine and, and all of his riches and the culmination of his showing out and showing off is to display his wife's beauty. Now let me tell you that it, it is true. I've, I've learned this uh, as I've grown older. It is true for men. You women may not understand this, but it is true for men that if you have a wife who is wise or a wife who is pretty, other men 
will respect you more. That's reality. I have met men before who gave me little to no respect until my wife steps up and I introduce them to my wife, and then all of a sudden they give me respect. Now, that's because my wife's proof. I can say that, but that's, they don't even know her yet. The, the opposite is true also. If you are a man and you have a wife who's really loud and, and uh, obnoxious and uh, use the word mean, uh, you don't get very much respect from other men. They'll actually look down upon you if that's the kind of wife you have. And the king here knew that Queen Vashti in her beauty, if he displayed her beauty, beauty in front of everybody, he would get the credit for that. And that's what he wanted. He wanted the credit for his wife, wife's beauty. He did not love her because she was beautiful. He loved her because his, her beauty made him look good. And that's a different thing. And so then when she no longer uses her beauty for him, what does he do? He removes her. Gets rid of her. And so people often use you to make themselves look good. And if they do that, it's just pride. The third thing, proud people are controlling. We see this in verse 12. They're controlling. But when Queen Vashti refused, circle the word refused in your Bible, when she refused to come at the king's command, in other words, she just says, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come display my beauty in front of all your drunk friends, is what she says. But when she does this, he gets really angry. There are in this gathering the, the nobles and the princes from 127 different provinces. Think about that. The nobles and the princes from 127 different little territories. And when the king said, come, they came. And not only did they come, they brought their wives and their children, and they brought all of their people to the king's house. But when he told his wife to come, she said, no, I'm not coming. And, and this is something you kind of learn as you grow older also, that when, when men in their business life, I'll say, occupation, are the boss of some employees or a lot of employees, a lot of these men have a, a difficulty at home when their children and their wife don't jump as quick as their employees jump. Especially men who are the boss of a, a large number of employees, like 20 or 50 employees. They are growing used to somebody saying yes to them all day. Yes, sir. When do you want me to do it, sir? How do you want me to do it, sir? And then they come home, <coughs> how dare their wife say no to something. And so these type of men in their pride will expect their children and their wife to always do what they want. And so he'll give them no voice to say or speak their own thoughts on things. A proud man like this will cause his family to be distant. And a proud man like this will cause his wife and children to operate out of fear. This is how you'll know that you're being controlled. If you do what you do for your spouse because you're afraid, rather than doing what you do for your spouse because you love him. The fault is not with you. 
That's the condition you're in. The fall is to deprive your spouse. If you are being loved, not controlled, if you're being loved, you will operate out of love in return. The next thing. Pride makes you an angry person. We see this, this at the end of verse 12. When she doesn't come, the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. Under, undermine those three words. Furious, anger, and burned. These are three different words expressing how mad he got. He was furious. This is a word that means exceedingly or abundantly. It's over above normal anger. The word anger is the word translated in the Bible, fury. By the way, the word fury, if you're not familiar, we don't use that word much in our vernacular today, but the word fury is a King James Bible word that's used to speak of, a, of the way a man looks at his wife when she's cheated on him, or a wife looks at her husband when he's cheated on her. But the Bible uses the word fury. It's an intense anger that, that rages. And so uh, the word anger is fury or wrath or rage. And then the last word is the word burn. It says that it burned in him. The word burn is to kindle it as a reference towards fire. A fire that is burning and cannot be quenched. And so it, in the word burning, it, it talks about the length of it and how hot it gets and how long it lasts. It cannot go out. It cannot be Quenched. And a person of pride will often get angry, may I say even angry, anger easily. They'll often get angry and it will last a while and it will be an intense, burning, almost seeming uncontrollable anger. So pride people are angry people. The next one. Pride makes you want to please the wrong people. Pride makes you want to please the wrong people. We see this in verse 13 through 15. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all who knew the law and justice. Those closest to him being these seven people, I won't pronounce all their names, and you skip on down to verse 14, the seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti? According to the law, because she did not obey the command of King Azarias, brought to her by the eunuchs. So, pride makes him want to please these seven men. He doesn't think about what his wife wants. He thinks about what do these seven men want. It tells us in verse 14, at the end of the verse, who ranked highest in the kingdom. Who are these seven men? They're the seven princes out of 127 princes who had the highest ranking. Maybe they had the most land. Maybe they had the most wealth. But they seemed to be the most important people. And he was overly concerned with what did these seven guys think about what his wife has done. He doesn't go and talk to his wife about it. He doesn't go and ask her why she's not coming. There's an interesting play on the word seven in chapter one. I'm not, not fully grasped it. I hope to preach a point from it at some time, but I don't, I don't get it yet. So pray for me, and if you get it, come explain it to me. But there's some sort of play on the word seven in, in chapter one because King Azarias sends seven men to get Queen Vashti. 
following a seven-day feast, and then when he's mad because she doesn't come, he goes and tells seven other men about it. I don't know what they're using here with the word seven, what the Lord is saying by that, but there is the mention here of these seven men. He goes and asks, what should, look at verse 15, what should I do? What should I do? He doesn't know what to do, and, and he wants to ask these seven guys what he should do with his wife. He hasn't considered asking his wife, and he certainly hasn't considered asking God. Proud people are confused. They don't know what to do. It's, in our day, it would be the man who cares more about what his co-workers thinks or his boss thinks than he cares about what his wife and his children think. This may be the greatest pride of men and women and young people of our day, this point right here. Pride makes you want to please the wrong people. This may be the greatest point of pride for our generation today, wanting to please the wrong people. Uh, let me try to explain it. Many people today are so concerned with what other people think they can no longer even have fun. Let that settle in just a minute. Many people today are so concerned with what other people think, they can no longer have fun. What do you mean by that? It's a big statement. Because today when I watch so many people, especially young people, they're not doing something because it's fun, like go to the beach or go on a trip or go bowling, you name it, whatever it is. They're not doing it because it's fun. They're doing it so they can post it on social media. It's not that something's wrong with posting it. It's like people have actually missed what's real in life. They're working so hard in, in whatever it is. Let's say it's going to the beach in getting the right pose or the right angle for the picture or the video so that they can post it. Why do they want to post it? So everybody that they literally don't even talk to on the phone or in person anymore. So all those people can see it and think well of them. And so they're, all their effort while they're there doing something that should be enjoyable, like going to the beach and standing there at the ocean and praising God for the vast depth of the ocean and, 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 and looking at the sunrise or the sunset and praising God for the beauty of the ocean. That person can't even enjoy the, the glory of God and what they're looking at because they're so concerned with what other people think they have to get it posted. This effort to show others and display it in front of others. Taking the time up in what they're doing to be able to show it off so much so they can't even enjoy the thing that they're doing. Pride makes you want to please the wrong people. Next week. Pride exaggerates everyone else's problem and ignores your own. You see this in verse 16 through 18. And Mimikin answered before the king and the princess, Queen Vashti, has not only wronged, circle, circle that word wrong, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the provinces of King Azarias. Look what he says. He says, 
look what the queen did. She wronged the king, and she wronged all the princes, 127 of them, and she wronged all the people who are in this kingdom, in the whole kingdom. She's wronged everybody by not doing what her husband said. That's a, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Did you see that? It's, it's a bit, just a bit of an exaggeration. Verse 17, for the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise her, their husbands in their eyes when they report Queen King Azariah commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him and she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, because of this, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. This is what he says. All the women will hear about this. All the women will do what Queen Vashti has done. And then all the men will be mad about it, just like the king is mad. It's a large exaggeration. Verse 16, it says that she wronged me. She wronged the king. But then he goes on to exaggerate all the wrong that has been done. A proud person can see everybody else's fault but their own. A proud person can name a list quickly of what somebody else has done to them, but they cannot see what they're doing to others. The next week. Proud people make life-altering decisions from emotion. This point is just made from the whole of chapter 1. What the king does here is he gets rid of his wife because he got really hot and really mad one day when she just didn't come when he asked her to. And so he makes a life-altering decision in the midst of emotion. You cannot make life-changing decisions in the midst of emotion. I'm often put in a position where much more often than I would like, even this past week, I'm put in a position where a man or a woman will call and say, this is what's happening. I'm thinking of leaving my wife. I'm thinking of leaving my husband. And most of the time when those kind of emergencies occur, it's late at night, and somebody or both of them are very emotional about something, and they're about to make a life-altering decision with great consequences in the heat of the moment. Many times we actually, Cindy and I will both go, we get out of bed and go there many times. Sometimes we talk on the phone with them. I have a goal when I get there. Two, two things. Calm down. Please calm down and don't say or do something you're going to regret. You can say something that will cause a scar that you never get over. That's why I encourage marriage counseling and all, all you who are married here today never, ever, ever threaten divorce. Never, ever, ever threaten leaving or moving out. These are words that scar, they hurt, they cut. And it's hard to heal, it's hard to get over. And don't Talk about leaving. Because it has consequences. It has far bigger consequences than you can think of when emotion has consumed you. And this is what proud people do. Proud people make decisions, foolish decisions, at the height of emotion. 
When emotion is raging, proud people think in that moment, I know what's best, and they make a decision, and it's many times foolish and life-altering. So this king here, he decided to put away his wife because he was really mad. Cannot think about what's going to be the consequence of this. He can only think about how mad she's made him. So here's a quote that I hear often today. Quote I hear. I don't have to put up with this. You heard that? I don't have to put up with this. Well, wisdom says you might you might have to. Or wisdom may say you might need to. That's the, the pride of King Azariah. Point number two in your notes. Do you have it? Do you have pride? Uh, to start this, I'm going to do something. I don't know if I've done this before. It's really out of character for me. But I'm going to show you a clip of a comedian if I can. And just let you, let you watch this. And it makes the point better than I did, okay? I'm actually kind of quiet on stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Mm -hmm. and I myself, right? And then I, myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself. And then me, 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 me. Beware the me to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. <laughs> Didn't mean to waste everybody's time. Not <laughs> a nine nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. My story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Come, come with your two wisdom tooth tail. You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um... I had two by four pulls. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no five, no nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were up around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn on the cob that afternoon. <laughs> Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop.
What is it about the human condition people get something out of that? That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can be anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all together. I'm Globe Enterprise. I gotta check it. You know, I'm driving the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars in Missouri. I get a Swiss account there. I'm gonna check it. Not until the drugs, but I just might have to cancel that. You know, the runway's an aspirin a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, you know, this other grim company is gonna try to take that over. They're gonna go, no, 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 it's Globe Enterprise. I walked on. You know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn. That reminded me. Once I was driving in the Sea of Tranquility. In my lunar rover. And I too was worried about our speed teller. Remember, we're the only ones on the moon. to a new load <laughs> making a point. Do you have the me monster? The sad truth is that we all have pride. If you're here today and you think you don't have pride, you have a problem with what you have because you're blind and you cannot see. We all have pride and we always almost have pride all the time. It's just the different levels of it. Is it drawing and festering and controlling us? Or are we on the way towards humility and it's decreasing and getting smaller? The danger of pride is it's so over-encompassing. You can have pride in anything or in nothing. Let me just use an example of somebody who's rich. A rich person can be proud over the fact that they have a lot of shoes. And a poor person can be proud over the fact that they only have one pair of shoes. The pride is found in either case. And so we all end up finding pride in something. And we end up glorying in something that's ours rather than God. The mean monster is really idolatry. It's worshiping ourselves instead of God. It's thinking much of ourselves instead of God. And we're all guilty of it in some degree, lesser or greater degrees. Do you have it? Do you have a meat monster? Second point, do you have it? Are you a are you a fault finder? Are you a fault finder? Let me give you the quickest way to know if you have pride today. I'm picking at you. I'm coming up in your grill. I'm coming up in your house right now. Did you just listen to this message in the last seven points I preached for somebody else? If you did, then you're a fault finder and you have pride. Because one of the first things that should have happened in a truly humble person that begins to hear a message on pride is they would humbly in their heart before God saying, Oh God, let me be humble before you. And you would have hung up on every point about King Azarias, every point about who he was in his pride, and you would have examined your own heart and said, Is that me, Lord? But if you're a person of pride, 
each one of those you would have labeled somebody you know you labeled that maybe you labeled the same person for all seven of them or maybe you labeled a different person for each one you see a person who has pride finds everybody else's faults before they find their own sadness of that kind of person if you're that kind of person is you'll end up all alone because one of the things that even more so today than ever in the history of the world one of the things that people do not want is somebody who finds all their faults do you have pride ask this simple question are you rich are you rich I know what you're thinking. Nobody's rich by their own definition. If you define yourself, you would say, no, I'm not rich. And the reason why is because everybody who has anything always wants more. And everybody who has a certain standard always thinks of somebody who has more than they do and thinks of that person as rich and not you. So let's say you make $50,000. You know somebody who makes $100,000. And you think that's what rich looks like, $100,000. But if you make 50, you got to know there's somebody who only makes 20. And they think what looks like rich is making 50. Are you with me? You can always measure somebody higher than you and say they're rich. But in reality, if you're here today, you're rich. I've told you this many times. American people as a whole, the, the poorest person in our country is more wealthy than 90% of the world. It's actually higher than that. But most of the world is poorer than you. So you are rich. Can I have an amen? I'm going to ask for it right there. Amen. Amen. amen? You are rich. And the Bible often speaks about those who are rich in the context of pride. I don't know if you know that. I'm going to only give you one verse today, but there are many verses. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. He says, Command those who are rich in this present age, do not be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He says, if you are rich today, do not be arrogant about it. Do not have pride to cause it. Let me say it a different way. If you are rich, and we just declared that we all are, then you're definitely struggling with pride to some degree. And so how does money have to do with me struggling with pride to some degree? Look at the next phrase there. It says, trust, they do not, do not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. If you have a certain amount of money to take care of a certain amount of things in your life, what you will do in your pride is you will not trust God, but you will trust what you have. You'll trust, trust what your money can buy you. And so I would just go ahead right here and declare us all as in being in pride. Do you have it? Yes, we all have it because we are all rich. And having it, what can I do to, to deal with this pride that comes from our wealth? And the suggestion I would give is give some money away. You say, well, how much should I give away? You should give enough away that you have to trust God. God didn't give you your money for you to just soak it up and that happy he gave us our money to be a blessing to be a steward to serve him giving us a way that you would trust God instead of those unsearching unsearch 
uncertain riches, trust God. Note for parents, I can give these little side notes for parenting. If you're giving your children everything that they ask for and everything that they want, you're making proud children. You're filling them with pride. You say, how did my child become so arrogant? that they could tell me, their dad, what to do. He got that way because he gave him everything he asked for. You made him rich. You made a five-year-old rich. He shouldn't be. He needs to not have all of that so he can trust God and not what his daddy can buy. Because while he's trusting everything that you've bought in him, you bought him, he's actually becoming proud and arrogant and talking back and mad. He's angry at you because you wouldn't get him something because he's so proud. Not only are you making your children proud, parents, you give them everything they, that they want, you're also robbing them of joy. Look at the end of the verse, 1 Timothy. He, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. It's a difference in you giving them all things and God giving them all things. And if you're buying your children everything, you're taking joy out of their life. You're making them more miserable. You're making them more sad. It's like it's ironic. It doesn't even make sense. If I buy them this, in the end, I'm making them more sad. Buy more, buy more, buy more. And what I'm doing, I'm making them sadder and sadder and sadder. For the little child who only gets one thing for Christmas, he can play all day with a box and be happy. With a box. Is this true? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And be happy. Why? Because he's not proud. Not lost the joy that, that God can bring. The next one. Are you grateful? Are you grateful? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, before I explain this one. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed received it, why do you brag and boast as if you had not received it? Just think about this phrase by phrase. Who makes you different from another person? The, the obvious answer to these questions is God. And what do you have that you did not receive? God gave it to you. So then why are you boasting like you didn't receive it? What's he saying here? He said, everything that you have comes from God. He's saying, remember, everything you have came from God. God gave you what you have. You might be smarter, you might be stronger, you might be prettier, you might be richer than somebody else, but God gave you what it is that you have or what it is that made you the way that you are. In reality, most of us have something we really take a lot of pride in, that one thing you take the most pride in, and whatever that one thing is you take the most pride in, you probably had little or nothing to do with it. God gave it to you. You another verse, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. Just focusing there on the phrase, it is God who gives you the power to get that, whatever it is. God gave you everything that you have, and He gave you the power to get it, the help to work, or the, or the you say, well, I'm pretty because I work at being pretty well. Maybe God just shows you how to put makeup on better than others. People, I don't know. The, the, it's coming from God ultimately. What you have came from God. 
this is where the gratitude part comes in. Now, pay attention here. What you had came from God. Amen? Amen. Then if it came from God, what would be the result of that? If you knew it came from God and remembered it came from God, what would be the result of that? Gratitude. And so I think gratitude may be for you personally to internally evaluate your own soul and say, say before God, Lord, am I proud? Help me know if I'm proud. For you personally to be able to have a measuring stick, whether or not you are a proud person, gratitude may be the best measuring stick. Because if you are grateful, then what you're saying is, I know everything I have came from God, and every day I'm grateful. I, I wake up grateful for my health. I go to bed grateful for my health. I'm grateful for what I own. I'm grateful for what I have. I'm grateful for what I get to do. I'm grateful for the work I get to do. Where's all this gratitude coming from? It's not coming from pride. It's coming from humility that recognizes every good thing I have came from God. But the opposite is true also. If you think about yourself, and lately you've just not been very thankful. Rather, you've been critical. But let's go ahead and get into that. I, don't, I want to stay away from that. It's not a message of criticism. But lately you've just, lately you've just not been very thankful. You've not found yourself in moments throughout the day praising God and thanking God for things, then that should reflect back into your own heart and say, wow, I must be so filled with pride right now because I have not been very grateful lately. Gratitude is a measuring stick of whether or not you have pride in your own soul. The last point. Do you have it? Are you proud? And the question here is, are you weak in the word and prayer? Are you weak in studying God's word and, and praying? In other words, are you praying very much? And if you are praying, are your prayers filled with fervency? Are you weak right now in the word of God? In other words, are you studying God's word? Do you read it every day? Every day do you read the Bible and, and see what God has to say? The Psalms chapter 10 verse 4 here, if we look at it, the wicked in his proud Proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his faults. So the proud person doesn't even think about God. And so he wouldn't be much filled with study of the word and with prayer. Prayer. I had a whole litany of verses here that I could prove this to you, but I just want to make a statement without reading all those verses. Pride keeps you from God. Pride keeps you at a distance from God. And if you are weak, in the word and studying his word and weak in the prayer I must know that is a mark of pride let me prove it to you let me prove it to you real quickly think about when trouble comes into your life maybe it's a great sickness maybe it's a great tribulation maybe it's a great financial problem some, some sort of trouble comes into your life what will you do immediately your prayers will become more frequent. Your prayers will become more fervent. You will get on your knees. You will get on your face before God and begin to cry out to Him and say, Lord, I need your help. You will find yourself humbly before God, reading His Word and hanging upon every word that He says, wanting Him to speak into your troubles and into your hardship. You will find yourself instantly in a season of prayer, constantly in a season of prayer, and you will not make a 
step throughout your day without praying and seeking the word of God because you have found yourself so humble in a time of trouble. So are you weak in the word and prayer? For years now we've thought of being weak in the word and prayer is just laziness or callousness or you know, I'm just for whatever reason distant from God. I want you to I want you to now from now on think of it in this regard if you're not studying the word and you're not praying. I want you from now on to think, am I? Then I must be filled with pride. I must be filled with pride. Pride is treacherous. I have a whole other message I could preach on the dangers of pride and what it does to a person. Literally, the Bible says that this way it will destroy you. Pride leads to destruction. I'll just give you these three verses in closing. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low. Make him low. But the humble in spirit will retain honor. Literally, it means God will lift him up. Here's the point. In your pride, you're, gonna, you're going down. You're going to fall. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be brought below. You give the scripture to back up, back up every one of those things. But in humility, Almighty God will lift you up. The second one, Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 and 12. That he who is graced among you will be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's like the opposite again. If you're going to be the greatest, you'll be a servant. If you're going to be the, the lowest, you will exalt yourself. You'll exalt yourself. In the last one, Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties and my ways and see if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask you just right off the start here. Would you begin to confess to God your pride and ask for forgiveness? Would you say, Lord, forgive me of my pride? And then would you say this to the Lord? I, I humble myself in your sight today, O Lord. I am lowly and nothing without Jesus. Just honestly confess that to God. Would you ask your forgiveness? Lord, forgive me of my pride. I humble myself before you today. And I put my trust in you, Lord. Would you lift me up? The Lord, in my humility, would you fill me with gratitude once again? Because everything that I have comes from you. And Lord, in my humility, would you fill me with a study for your word and a prayer for time with you like I haven't known you sometime because of my pride. Lord, forgive me of my pride. And let me be humble before you. There's no one who deserves glory but Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?